This is episode number 27 of the Individual One podcast. For the record, individual number one is President Donald J. Trump. And I am your host, John Ziegler. We are broadcasting from Los Angeles, California, and distributed internationally by the Global Story Network. This is the bi-weekly program which takes an honest and hard look at the presidency of Donald J. Trump from a conservative perspective, because unfortunately, let's face it, no one else is willing or able to tell the real truth about him. The liberal mainstream media cannot be objective, and the conservative, now state-run media, has been completely compromised. We, however, at the Individual One podcast have most definitely not been co-opted. Welcome to the program. Please subscribe, rate, review, and share it via social media. Follow us on Twitter, at Individual One Pod. That's Individual, the number one Pod. Lots to talk about today, partially because episode number 26 of the Individual One podcast occurred during Bill Barr's testimony to the United States Senate on Wednesday, and therefore I did not get a chance to fully evaluate and analyze that. It had only been partially done when we did that broadcast, and most of that episode, which I urge you to check out if you've not done so already, is an interview with conservative commentator Jonah Goldberg. So there wasn't a lot of opportunity to evaluate what happened there, but it really is extraordinary. And that's really the essence of the Trump presidency. Things that would normally be seen as extraordinary, scandalous, uh, earth-shattering, bombshell-like, are often just discarded as, well, that's just the world we're now living in, and they are forgotten incredibly quickly. But let's just review everything that Bill Barr has done is in a Reader's Digest version here, the Attorney General of the United States, which I have to say, in all humility, uh, we have been on top of and have correctly predicted probably better and sooner than anybody else in this business. Correct. Uh, mainly because I understand the nature of humanity and I understand the nature of people once they get into Trump's orbit. And uh, there is a corrosive effect. I mean, this is not something that uh, other people haven't already observed. Uh, James Comey, former FBI director, wrote a scathing column about Bill Barr this week uh, saying exactly that, that he eats your soul up bit by bit. Well, I don't even think that it was a bit by bit situation with Bill Barr. I, I really do believe that with Bill Barr, the number one thing you need to understand is how he got the job. And this has been something that, while it's gotten some media attention, it has not gotten nearly enough. This was a guy who, at least figuratively, if not literally, was sitting on his couch in his underwear watching cable news television a year ago. That's what he was doing, all right? He, he, was, and he decides to write this 19-page memo to Donald Trump because he's a former attorney general, so he's got some cachet, and he's a Republican, so he, he knows he, he can get the president to read it, especially when he writes what the president wants to read, which is that Mueller's investigation is not legitimate and that the president cannot be charged with obstruction of justice. And then lo and behold, shockingly, he gets the job. Wow, who could have possibly thought that was coming? Yeah. It's impossible to see that I mean, from, from like a mile away. And what's really hilarious to me is that a lot of people were so naive. Oh, he's an institutionalist. He's a Bush guy. He, you know, Trump is walking into a trap here. Barr is a friend of Robert Mueller's. So th this is, uh, wow, Trump has made a huge mistake here. And this is maybe the, the biggest misconception that Trump's enemies have about him. They think he's an idiot. All right. They think he's a total moron because in some ways he is. Correct. But you have to understand that Trump has multiple personalities. He might even have multiple personality disorder. I'm not an expert on such things, but it certainly seems plausible and possible. He also is in some ways a genius, a savant, an idiot savant, if you will. And one of the ways he is a savant is in understanding people's vulnerabilities and understanding how he can manipulate them and what their weaknesses are. And he understood that with Barr, that he was taking this guy out of obscurity 
and giving him back the position that he clearly now craved. I mean, once people get this kind of power, they don't want to give it up, and they want another bite of the apple before they're done. And so that's what happened with Barr. So Barr gets this job. Jeff Sessions gets fired, which is the most underrated act in this entire deal. I wrote a column uh, in part about that, which I'll get to later on in this hour uh, for Mediate this week. But Barr gets the job. And then once the Mueller report is finally completed, he writes this four-page summary. And the four-page summary was a classic example of something that was mostly technically true, but in its essence was... Now, there was one important actual lie, at least one, in that summary. And because and, I'm, you know, I, I'm someone who wants to be very... Uh, clear and concise, and I want to give the benefit of the doubt, all right? So when I call someone a liar, there's got to be something that's clear-cut. And the clear-cut and important lie in that summary was not just the perception that was created, which was nothing to see here. Uh, We've got an exonerated president, although not exonerated on obstruction, but not enough to charge him. And you know what? When we get to it, we'll put out the report. We'll give it a few weeks for this this narrative I just created to marinate in the public's consciousness and to make sure that nobody who is a Trump supporter has any interest in reading this report at all, which is really the main goal of this. The main goal for Barr is to make sure people, at least on the right, do not read the report. Because the report is devastating to anybody with an open mind. And and by the way, there's collusion in the report. I'll get to that momentarily as well. But the key lie in the summary, which is important because this disarmed even some of the most anti-Trump experts. And what that was was that Mueller's decision to not charge on obstruction was based not on Department of Justice policy to not indict a sitting president. That was key. It was also a lie. See, when, when Barr says that, that makes everybody who understands this kind of thing go, oh, wow, there just must not have been anything there. Oh, well, we were wrong. Uh, let's move along. Well, uh, that was a lie. In fact, it is a clear-cut lie. Mueller goes way out of his way in the report to make it clear, as clear as he possibly could, that that is not, that, that, that he did not make this decision, or really any decision, based on lack of evidence. It was specifically because of the DOJ policy on indicting a sitting president. And therein lies the second part. Of the deceit here. Because we now know, we learned this week, that Robert Mueller wrote not one but two letters to Bill Barr, at least one being incredibly critical of that summary. And part of Mueller's objection to the summary was that he had already written summaries for this purpose. And Barr would not, and to my knowledge, still has not released them. Now, why would you do that? You're doing that because you're trying to create a narrative. And in this case, you're trying to create a narrative that will protect your boss, Donald J. Trump. And so when when Barr goes, after the summary, he goes to Congress the first time to testify. And he gets asked about some media reports that we discussed here on this uh, podcast. And I said, whoa, 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 wait a minute. Okay, this is the smoking gun. There is no way the New York Times, the Washington Post, and NBC are all getting people from Mueller's team, either directly or indirectly, saying this is not right, unless there's something to this. And Barr gets asked, do you understand, do you have any understanding of what the basis for these reports are? And Barr just says, oh, mm, wow, gee, I wish I could tell you, but I have no idea. No idea. Well, now we know That was because we know that Barr got at least this one letter and apparently already had a phone call with Robert Mueller about this and Mueller's objections to the nature of the summary. And so those are key events. And this phone call is 
really maybe the most interesting part. There are two, two uh, at least most interesting parts from a human standpoint, not necessarily a substantive standpoint, but from a human standpoint of Barr's testimony on Wednesday. Because he references, first of all, he calls Mueller's letter snitty and says that it was probably written by a subordinate. Now, that's fascinating because here Bill Barr is a friend of Robert Mueller and he's openly and and clearly proactively trying to diminish Robert Mueller, calling his letter snitty and saying that it was probably with no evidence at all. And, and everyone who knows Mueller by just using basic logic, this doesn't make any sense. Why the hell would Mueller have a subordinate write a letter of that importance to the Attorney General of the United States? That doesn't make any damn sense. Maybe someone technically wrote it, but clearly Mueller approved it, signed it. It's Mueller's letter. But for for Barr to say that under oath on national television live, that is an indication of some massive distance between Barr and Mueller. Barr and Mueller are no longer friends, all right? That's what that tells you, which is important here. Because for Mueller, and I think Mueller was probably slow, and understandably so, slow to understand what he was up against here. There effectively had been a coup at the Department of Justice, and no one told him until it was too late. And so he was naive when he submitted the report. And he was naive thinking that Bill Barr was going to give this a fair shake. Now, as far as the phone call, I am fascinated by this phone call. And here's why. Can we use our brains for a second? Here's what Bill Barr said about the phone call. That Mueller and Barr have a phone call after this letter. And what does Barr have with him there? Barr has witnesses taking notes on this phone call. Now, I've never been Attorney General of the United States. But I'm telling you, uh, having been around the block enough to know, especially when you're friends with somebody, like uh, let's pretend Barr and Mueller are friends. If this was a normal situation, it would be, hey, Bob, how you doing? Mm, Okay, I'm sorry there was a misunderstanding about my letter. Yeah, okay. um, Yeah, I, I totally get where you're coming from. I'll see what I can do to fix this. That's what it would be. But that's not what happened here. This was a situation where Bill Barr needed witnesses taking notes. Now, why do you need witnesses taking notes? By the way, it's really, and this is might be obvious, but it needs to be pointed out. This takes preparation, all right? <laughs> if you're going to have people there, witnesses taking notes, that means you're prepared for a phone call that's maybe not going to go the way you want it to go, all right? So it's it shows premeditation it shows preparation it shows concern and here's the clincher so there's witnesses taking notes to this phone call and Barr gets asked by richard blumenthal democratic senator from connecticut on wednesday Barr gets asked can we see the notes and Barr just says fuck you no he basically, I mean, he basically says fuck you no 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 need for you to see the notes this is the United States Senate. And Barr is just saying, big middle finger. Big middle finger. Now, why? If there's nothing in the notes that's concerning, Barr would just say, yeah, sure, no big deal. Here are the notes. But that's not happening. So I'm not suggesting that there is a massive by this point there probably are no bombshells because we we've been so desensitized nothing's a bombshell we've already learned that robert Mueller wrote a letter to bill barr saying whoa 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 what the hell are you doing this summary is not what i is not indicative of the report and but there's something in, in that phone call that's not right and maybe more important than the substance of the phone call is that barr was concerned and is concerned about the fact that the phone call was not right. And then when you combine that with the, the, the diminishing of Robert Mueller, 
That indicates a level of concern because they know Mueller is going to eventually testify, going to have to testify. And what they want is, is they want Mueller as diminished within conservative circles as possible, and they want as much time as possible to go by so that they can say, see, this is old news. Democrats won't move on. This is still part of the witch hunt. Can't we get back to the business of working for the American people, which they're There was none of that anyway because we've got a Democratic House and a Republican Senate and a a president with no ability to bring anyone together. So nothing's going to get done anyway. This is it. This is all that's going to happen is uh, maybe other than a possible infrastructure bill. That's it. So all of this is 100% consistent with the fact that Bill Barr was on a PR campaign. The Attorney General of the United States was on a PR campaign on behalf of the President in trying to protect him from the substance of the Mueller report. And he has been incredibly successful at this. Incredibly successful. Including in that press conference. That press conference looks even worse now in retrospect. Because at that press conference... Bill Barr, before the report is even released, which right there shows you, much like the note situation with the Mueller phone call, the fact that you hold a press conference before the report is even out shows you're afraid. Just like dodging the congressional testimony later in the week on Thursday. That shows you're afraid. So what's Barr afraid of? Why doesn't he want to be asked legitimate questions about the the report? But in that press conference, he already knows Mueller is objecting on multiple levels about how he's portraying the report. He gets Rod Rosenstein to stand behind him, who we now know had compromised himself and handed Trump his testicles to keep his job last fall, standing behind him like a hostage. And Robert Mueller, it's now very, very interesting, and it was noted at the time, I was one of those that did so, very interesting that Robert Mueller was not there standing with him. That was something that spoke a thousand words right there. But now we know more about Barr's mindset and what he knew was reality when he held that press conference. And so that press conference is now worse in retrospect than it even was then. And one of the things that, that gets lost in all this, and there's so many things that get lost in all this, is that Barr claimed uh, numerous times, I don't know exactly how many times, but it was like eight or nine times, he used the phrase, no collusion in the report. That's not true. There was no conspiracy. See, they're, they're purposely confusing people with words. There was no evidence of a conspiracy between the Trump team and Russia, which I never thought there would be, probably never was. Trying to prove that is next to impossible, especially with a president who doesn't even use email, because uh, essentially anything short of an actual agreement between the Trump team and Russia doesn't count. But collusion, which is not what this was about, but that's where the Trump team set the goalposts for whatever reason. That collusion did happen. Now, whether that was criminal or not, that apparently not. At least not according to Robert Mueller. At least based upon the report. But that doesn't mean it didn't happen. The report says there was all sorts of collusion. One of the most amazing examples which I have to say, you know, Hillary Clinton went on MSNBC this week, and I loathe Hillary Clinton, but she made a hell of a good point, one that conservatives, if everything was in reverse, would, would agree with 100%, and that is, well, wait a minute. We now know, which we already did, but now we know for sure, that when Donald Trump went public and said to uh, Russia, please find Hillary's emails if you can. This was during the campaign. He, in, at a public event, he said, hey, Russia, if you're listening, please find Hillary's emails. Five hours later, Russian intelligence attempted to hack Hillary's emails for the first time. Five hours later. That's collusion. Now, is there an agreement? No, it happened out, out in the open, which somehow, and I don't understand this logic at all, and this was what part of what Hillary was saying on uh, the Rachel Maddow show, because she, she said, well, wait a minute, why can't I ask uh, uh, China to find uh, 
Donald Trump's tax returns, which tells me, by the way, she's watching HBO's uh, sitcom Veep, because that's basically what's happening in the sitcom Veep. China is helping the, uh, the, uh, the female Democratic uh, presidential candidate. But I, I digress. The reality here is just because it's out in the open doesn't make it any less Ill, you know, inappropriate or potentially illegal. I, mean, I don't understand what that significance of that is. In fact, it goes to, in a weird way, because of the nature of this operation, this whole wink, wink, nod, nod thing, that's exactly the way you would do collusion in this situation. Because you're smart enough, at least Trump is smart enough, not to do something covert in some sort of back-channel communication that could theoretically be found someday, because if you're doing it underground, that indicates that you're trying to hide something. But in a weird way, the, the most brilliant way to do collusion would be to do it as publicly as possible. That way, that way it's, you've got like inherent plausible deniability. I realize to some people, wait a minute, is Trump a moron or is he a genius? He's both, folks. He's both. Normally, that would be a contradiction, but not with him. He's got a split personality in this regard. And so when Barr says there's no collusion at the press conference, that is bullcrap. There absolutely was collusion. Now, that doesn't mean Trump's a Manchurian candidate or that uh, he's totally compromised, although he's certainly acting like he's compromised. He's still acting to this day like he's compromised, which I'll get to in a moment. Uh, and that's, that, to me, is what matters most. Is the President of the United States cr- compromised by Russia in some way, and if so, why? And we still haven't gotten to the bottom of that, and we still haven't gotten to the bottom of whether or not they're going to do this again in the 2020 election, which no one seems to, at least very few people, certainly not on the conservative side, seem to give a crap about. And as far as the conservative reaction to all this, that's, I have to say, I, I am... Ex- I'm depressed and infuriated. I don't know why I'm surprised I shouldn't be at this point. I keep thinking there's got to be a bottom. There's got to be something that even the sycophants aren't going to accept. It's so hypocritical. It's so dangerous. But this Bill Barr thing, to me, has taken conservatives, especially quote-unquote conservatives in the media, They have now gone from being state-run, as I refer to them, to being flat-out lobotomized. They're flat-out lobotomized now. Which, What I mean by that is, I think they actually believe it. Because the general narrative, even by some fairly reasonable conservatives who have not been Trump sycophants, has been, well, this is much to do about nothing. Bill Barr deal. Why are we getting so upset about this? What difference does it make that, uh, you know, for three weeks we were lied to? It doesn't matter. The full, no, it wasn't the full report. 8% of it is still redacted. There's still 12 investigations that Barr now oversees that we don't know anything about because they were redacted. But most of the report was given to the public in due time, my pretty so, I mean, by the way, three weeks is an eternity in this day and age. There was no, there's been no explanation for why over three weeks between the time that, that Mueller handed it over and the time that it was released to the public. That was part of the PR campaign. But the conservative reaction to this by even some people who are supposed to be semi-rational, people like David French, Rich Lowry, Ben Shapiro, it's all been... Ah, you know, the left has lost their mind on this. This is no big deal. It is absolutely a big deal because the attorney general not just lied, and I believe perjured himself, and, you know, when Nancy Pelosi has to be the source of truth by saying that a crime was committed when Barr testified to Congress and not one conservative say, yeah, that's true, that's pathetic. That's embarrassing. Nancy Pelosi is now... The bastion of truth. The person standing up and saying, this was wrong, and this looks like it was criminal. No, but nobody has done that, because you don't want to cross the Trump cult on this. And 
it was it was potentially criminal. It was absolutely wrong, unethical. It and had a massive impact. I mean, the proof of the impact is Lindsey Graham, the head of the Judiciary Committee, did not even read the report and acknowledged that publicly. I'm not even sure Bill Barr read the report. That's one of the other things about his testimony that was fascinating. He was asked some questions about the report that indicated he had not read it, which goes to show you that this whole deal is a conclusion in search of a rationalization. Bill Barr had a conclusion. No charges, no obstruction, no conspiracy, and nothing to see here. Now I need a rationalization for it. And boy, did he come up with some doozies. Like, for instance, you know, Trump was pissed off, so therefore he's allowed to obstruct because he thought he was being uh, unfairly uh, accused. That's ridiculous. That's totally absurd. Come on. It's just flat out ridiculous. But it gets worse than that because this has a massive impact on how things go down. If Bill Barr, and I wrote a column about this, which, again, I urge you to check out. You can find it at freespeechbroadcasting.com, which is the home for my other podcast, or just uh, Google it. I wrote a fictitious, satirical version of what Bill Barr should have written in his summary if he was being remotely honest. It's pretty funny. And I think it's worth your time. But if anything close to that had been immediately released, the entire narrative is shifted. And most importantly, it's shifted within the conservative media and within Republicans. Now, that doesn't mean that anywhere near 100% or even 50% of conservative media or, or Republican politicians would have changed their mind about what the significance of the report is. But it would have created cover See, what Bard did is he created cover for everyone who wanted to ignore the report. And he did so incredibly successfully. And those are the only people who matter. The only people who matter in this are the 40 to 45 percent, whatever it is on any given day, of the American public who support Donald Trump. Unless that number significantly goes down, Trump is always going to be safe, whether it's potential impeachment, or in re-election against anybody but Joe Biden. So that's the, the, that's the important populace. That's the demographic that actually matters. And Barr protected Trump brilliantly with that demographic. Because let's face it, no one wants to read a 400-page report to begin with. And we want permission to not need to read it. No need to read it because I already know what the conclusion is. No big deal. People I trust in the right-wing media, the state-run media, have told me nothing to see here. So I'm not going to waste my time and effort on this, especially since I suspect there's probably some stuff in there that's going to make me uncomfortable in my support of Donald Trump. So I best not read this. This is one of those things that, well, you know what, I'm just going to trust those who are telling me what I already wanted to believe in the first place. And this goes to something I've talked about for a very long time. I have said... And no one else I know of has mentioned this, but when Charles Krauthammer died and John McCain died and George Herbert Walker and Barbara Bush died and Jeff Flake uh, left the, the U.S. Senate and Bob Corker left the U.S. Senate, that was incredibly important because those were people who would have reacted rationally, potentially, to this kind of a situation and provided some cover for those who would have been open to coming out and criticizing Trump, like Mitt Romney did for 15 seconds before getting slammed and then going back into his cubbyhole. So this that's incredibly important. Charles Krauthammer might be the most important death in all this. Because Charles Krauthammer, in my opinion, would have eviscerated Bill Barr, would have eviscerated Donald Trump on this report, and it would have been much more difficult for people with a conscience, and there's a few left, not many, at Fox News Channel to, to say, wait a minute, uh, we're just going to go with the, the state-run narrative on this, that there's nothing to see here. Krauthammer being around would have made that much more difficult. Now, there's still a couple people at Fox News Channel, Chris Wallace, Shepard Smith, oddly 
Judge Andrew Napolitano, who has been good in, in some aspects of this. But by and large, they're just state-run media, Fox News Channel. And as long as Fox News Channel stays firm, nothing's going to happen to the cult. Nothing is going to happen to the people to whom Donald Trump uh, is most in need of support. I love the poorly educated. That's just a fact. And, and the only conservative commentator I know who has even had the courage of his convictions to admit that he was wrong about Bill Barr was Matt Lewis, who we had on this program several episodes ago. He's a Daily Beast and CNN commentator, friend of mine. And kudos to Matt Lewis for admitting, you know what, I was wrong about Bill Barr. I don't know whether or not all these other guys and, and ladies are on the Trump train here because they don't want to admit they were wrong about Bill Barr or because they don't want to buck the cult. Maybe it's a little bit of both. But the reality is we were duped. Bill Barr duped all these people, and now they're coming up with rationalizations to support Bill Barr. Oh, no, technically he's exactly right. Bullshit. Bullshit. This was a PR campaign. Let me give you another example of, of why this is significant. Because this is a this is always, always going to be a political calculation. And diminishing Trump's level of support was always going to be key here. So that's all about public opinion. That's PR. And that's not the job of the Attorney General of the United States. But here's, here's an analogy that I think will in, indicate the significance of what Barr did here. Remember the 2000 election? Of course you do. Bush versus Gore. It came down to Florida. And what happened late that night, that first night? The media announced that George Bush had won Florida. Now, they originally called it for Gore, but then they reversed and said Bush won. Now, and, that, and they, they declared him president of the United States. Now, even though that recount process was technically legal, a legal process and should not have anything to do with public opinion, that's not the real world. That's not the world we live in. Bush being declared the winner and having those headlines and that being the narrative, I believe was why he ended up surviving that recount. I believe, and I was, I was living, I was not living, my, Florida, my father was living in Florida at the time. I went to visit him during the recount. I was as into that recount as anybody on the planet. So I could chapter and verse tell you everything that happened there. But the reality is that uh, if George Bush does not get declared president and declared the winner in Florida. And the next day, the the tally is not Bush winning Florida, even though it was by a microscopic amount. I believe that that set the tone, the narrative, and provided him leverage to survive that entire recount process. Now, of course, it went to the courts, some of which were Democratic courts, some of which were Republican courts. The state uh, secretary of state in Florida was a Republican. So it's not a perfect. There's some think parts of this are very analogous. Some are not. But the, by, the, the bottom line of this is that setting that initial narrative matters because it impacts public opinion and it provides leverage. And Bill Barr provided all the leverage for the Trump side here and diminished any reason for someone who was a Trump supporter to read the report. And that's all I ask of anybody. Just read the damn report. Because when you read it, you learn that everything Trump's telling you is a lie. There was no exoneration. This was outrageous. The President of the United States team knew of and solicited and gave a wink, wink, nod, nod to Russian influence on their behalf, in an election, in a way that could have theoretically impacted the result. That is possible. It is possible. We will never know, but that is possible. And then they lied and they obstructed about the whole thing. And to me, you know, sometimes we get too far in the weeds here. Big picture, when people say, well, why should Donald Trump be impeached? Donald Trump should be impeached because he obstructed the investigation into how Russians impacted our presidential election that resulted in his victory, period. That is not in question. 
by anybody who's remotely rational. You know, it's funny. Yesterday, the Kentucky Derby, for the first time ever, had the winner disqualified. Uh, you know, it was once happened before, but it was for totally different reasons for for drugs and didn't happen right away. But the, for the first time in history, the winner of the Kentucky Derby, uh, the eventual winner was Country House, but the the initial winner was Maximum Security. Now, there's a reason why I'm going here, folks. This will make sense in a second. So Maximum Security wins the race, and it certainly seemed like to everyone like he he won the race. And then there is a review, and the review finds that maximum security obstructed other horses. By the way, not the horse that finished in second, which ended up winning, Country House. So, so maximum security effectively committed a technical violation of the rules that probably did not impact how they won, because everyone said, Maximum security was the best horse, undefeated. By the way, hell of a chance to win the the Triple Crown now. But technically, there was an obstruction. And because of that technical obstruction, the stewards at Churchill Downs in Louisville, where I used to live and work as a talk show host on television and radio, the stewards there decided against all public opinion and with great courage, you know what? We have to uphold the rule of law here because if this goes unpunished, then that's going to create a horrible precedent. There was almost a total disaster within inches. I mean, you look at the video that within inches, there could have been numerous horses taken out of that race because of the obstruction that was created by maximum security. Everyone was incredibly lucky that this was not a catastrophe and we are going to disqualify maximum security. So I find it, Fascinating that there was far greater, far greater concern about the rules, about precedent, about punishing obstruction in the Kentucky frickin' Derby than there was in the 2016 presidential election. And again, the analogy isn't perfect, but there is a lot of people were making this analogy on Twitter. I even said, well, wait a minute, hold on. You, you mean to tell me that maximum security was disqualified for obstruction? I was told that there needed to be an underlying crime in order for there to be a significant punishment for obstruction. What was maximum security's underlying crime? There's no underlying crime here. Why are we punishing for obstruction? This is outrageous. Because it matters. Or at least it should matter. At least it used to matter to conservatives. But no longer. And there's another reason why it matters. Because there's the practical element of our current president's relationship with Russia and Vladimir Putin. And what's going to happen the next time around. And Trump announced on Friday that, well, he'd had a fr- a con- another conversation with his good buddy Vladimir Putin. And uh, they had agreed. <laughs> they had agreed that there was no collusion. <laughs> Seriously, this was a serious thing that happened. This really happened. Trump and Putin had a conversation about the Mueller report, and they concluded that, yep, there was no collusion. It's just flat out ridiculous. (laughs) And uh, apparently, according to Trump, now, I, I don't know for sure how we know this or how Trump knew this, but he said that Putin smiled when they had this conversation. Now, I presume this must have been a video conference, which I would, I would expect that uh, we would be capable of creating. That wouldn't be that big of a deal. But according to Trump, uh, Putin smiled. And my reaction was, well, of course Putin smiled. Now, Trump completely misinterpreted this, in my opinion, that somehow you know he's laughing at Mueller. No, he's laughing. I can't believe Putin was able to keep from laughing his ass off at the whole thing. Because in Putin's mind, he's gotten away with this scot-free. He got the guy he wanted to be president, whether he influenced it in the end or not, we'll never know. Whether that was the deciding factor or not, there's hundreds of deciding factors in an election that was that close. But he gets the guy he wants, who is acting like his buddy, has been very soft on him. Now, people will argue with that, but there's no evidence that Trump himself has done anything that would cross Putin since he's taken 
office, some things the administration has done, which Trump may not have had total control over, or maybe he was just doing for cover, who knows. But the reality is Putin's gotten everything he wanted and not even a rebuke or rebuke from Trump. Trump is still saying he's not 100% sure that, that Russia tried to influence the election on his behalf, and he has acknowledged that he has not rebu- rebuked Putin or warned him about doing the same thing in 2020. And Trump being Trump, it's hardly a stretch to say he probably wants him to do it again in 2020. I mean, that's the message that Putin's going to get. Now, I have no idea how Putin will react to that, but would somebody please tell me, somebody please tell me what Putin has not gotten out of this deal? I mean, this could not have gone better for Vladimir Putin. He got everything he possibly wanted with almost no repercussions. There's some sanctions of a minor level, but I mean, which Trump has fought. But by and large, Putin has every reason to be smiling. Putin has every reason to be laughing his ass off. And... Um, and, I, and one more point for, for this episode on the, the Re- Mueller report itself. I wrote a second column, which I've already referenced, uh, about the, things that, the two things that people are missing about this report from a substantive standpoint. Because with all this, you know, even this focus on Barr, I think, helps Trump. Because the more we focus on Barr, the less we're focused on what's actually in the report. And there are two things that have gotten in my opinion, totally missing in all this. One, as I keep saying as a broken record, this was all about the Moscow Tower project and Trump's desire to build a Trump Tower in Moscow, and he was trying to do it during the entire campaign and lying blatantly about it and then getting his personal attorney, Michael Cohen, to lie to Congress about it. That's the essence, that's the core of this whole deal, and people keep forgetting about that. I even had a a message, a direct message a conversation with Jake Tapper from CNN about this very topic. He said, you know what, that's a really great point because no one mentions that and we, we've forgotten about this. Uh, no indication Jake's actually done anything about that, but it was nice that he agreed. It's all about the Moscow Tower. That's what they were trying to protect. That's what they're trying to, co- to cover up. That, that's probably why all the lying. That's probably why all the obstruction. And then there's another element of this Bill Barr situation that I think has created another component of obstruction of justice. And that is, I now believe that Bill Barr's actions, which continue up till today, now prove that the firing of Jess Sessions, much like the firing of James Comey, was in fact obstruction of justice. Now, it was not obstruction of justice at the time. The President of the United States is more than allowed to fire his attorney general, even though he did it the day after a midterm election that Jeff Sessions had nothing to do with. And even though he said publicly numerous times it was because Jeff Sessions recused himself from the Russian investigation, which is beyond inappropriate. But we now know, because of Bill Barr's actions and because of how Bill Barr got the job, that we now know in retrospect, this is something Mueller even himself could not have known, because he didn't know how Barr was going to react to his report, for sure. And we didn't know about Rosenstein handing over his testicles to keep his job. We now know that the firing of Jess Sessions was a key act of obstruction. Trump needed to get rid of an attorney general who had recused himself from the Russian investigation because he needed his own guy to be able to take the Mueller report and mute it sabotage it, poke holes in it, act as a PR director in response to it. And that's what he got in Bill Barr. And that is a key component of this ever-growing obstruction argument. This obstruction argument is as as clear-cut as it could possibly get. And it matters. It matters in the Kentucky Derby. It ought to matter in presidential elections in the United States of America. But is it going to matter? I don't believe so. There's no indication in the polls. In fact, there's some polling data that indicates that Trump is more popular now than before the Mueller report came out. Who the hell these people are?
who were not approving of Donald Trump before the Mueller report, but who are now approving of him after we know for sure he is unfit for office and after all the lying and the corruption that has been exposed in response to this report is beyond me. I love the poorly educated. I really don't know who these people are. Now, maybe it's a fluke. Gallup has him at the highest level, 46% approval that he's ever been in his entire presidency. I would like to believe that's a fluke poll. I don't know, because the polling is all over the place right now. But it is possible that Trump is more popular now than he was before the Mueller report came out, which tells you everything you need to know about just how utterly broken every element of our society is and how we never get to the bottom of anything. And most people, are ne- the vast majority of people, are never going to read the report. Facts don't matter. Nuance doesn't matter. Logic doesn't matter. It's all about headlines. It's all about perception. It's all about buying the narrative that makes you feel better about yourself. And for the vast, 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 vast majority of people who are right of center, and I am one of those, but I'm in the very small minority here, we just want to have this in the rearview mirror because it makes us feel uncomfortable. Or if you're part of the cult, you actually think the opposite, that somehow this was a Democratic scandal to get Donald Trump, which is absurd. That's just Totally absurd. It's just flat out ridiculous. I mean, come on, people. It, it's it really it's 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 infuriating to me the the absurdity to which people on the right will go to try to rationalize what really happened here. This was a coup attempt against Donald Trump. You cannot be serious. I, I mean, yet some semi-serious people are, and so there's no indication in the polling that any of this is hurting Trump. This, I might be overplaying the significance of this, but you know, last night, Saturday Night Live was back on live for the first time in several weeks, and they had tons of potential fodder to work with. I mean, the, the, the Trump-Putin conversation, the Bill Barr testimony, and they totally took a pass. They've, they even mocked for five seconds the insignificance of the Bill Barr testimony, and then they went on to something else. Now, it's possible that they did that because Adam Sandler was co-hosting, and Adam Sandler is fairly well-known as a conservative, and maybe uh, they didn't want to make him feel uncomfortable or maybe objective. But my, my interpretation was that they're waving the white flag on this whole thing. They're moving on. And, and you know, I, I, I guess I can understand. But it's hard for me to move on because what we've learned here is outrageous, and it's continuing. The outrages are continuing. But the m- number one reason why Donald Trump is, is going to survive this in all likelihood, maybe totally unscathed, is because of the economy. The economy continues to be exceedingly good, at least on paper, here in the United States of America. The stock market is at record highs, although it's basically the same place it was 18 months ago. But all right, fine. It, you know, certainly during his presidency, the stock market has done very well pretty much like it did, maybe even a little less, uh, as well as it did during Barack Obama's presidency. But you can do anything you want with the statistics. But, okay, the economy's good. I got no problem with that. That's fantastic. Unemployment is down. The work rate particip- the work participation rate is also down. But remember when we used to care about that as conservatives? During the, the Obama administration, the ab- unemployment rate didn't matter because so many people had left the workforce. But now we just, ah, screw that. That doesn't matter. Look at that un- unemployment number. It's so low. But you know what? What's not low? Our debt. Our debt is enormously high, which is exactly what you would expect when the king of debt, who doesn't even pay off his loans, Donald Trump is president of the United States and has a Republican majority for two years. The debt is, is exploding. Now, there's two problems with that. One, that bill eventually is going to come due. But here's the bigger problem that no one on the right wants to mention. During times of enormous prosperity, which we're currently living in, the debt should be low because your tax, your tax base increases. That's the whole basis of conservatism, by the way. Economic conservatism, at least Reagan conservatism, is, is, is that a good economy will take care, allegedly, uh, theoretically, of the debt, or at least part of the debt, the deficit, because more people are paying taxes, corporations are paying more in taxes because they're making more in profits, 
Well, that's despite the good economy, the the deficit is exploding. But no one cares about that because that's not today. All we care about is today. Tomorrow, eh, who the fuck cares? I mean, and that's basically the entire Trump philosophy in a nutshell. What's good for me today, I don't give a shit about tomorrow. Well, tomorrow's eventually going to come, folks. A couple other things I got to mention before uh, this episode uh, of the podcast is, is completed. And this is one of those things that in a rational world would be all we'd be talking about. But uh, over the weekend, Donald Trump said of Kim Jong-un, the dictator of North Korea, I'm with him. I'm with him. This is after Kim Jong-un has resumed missile testing. And Trump declared that he believes that Kim Jong-un will keep his promise to him about denuclearization, which I found hilarious because uh, Donald Trump is the guy who's going to rely on someone else keeping their promise. This is a guy who does not exactly keep his promises in a way that would be regarded as remotely sacred. I mean, I could spend an hour on all the broken promises or agreements that Donald Trump has made. Just ask his first two wives about how sacred he keeps his promises and his commitments. And and while Trump is doing this, Trump is defending supposed free speech of racists, 9-11 truthers, anti-vaccination people, all because... He's now saying he's monitoring Twitter and Facebook on free speech issues. Now, look, no one's more of a free speech defender than me. I wrote a book called The Death of Free Speech, which no one actually read back in uh, 2005, although that book was extremely prescient about where we were headed with regard to free speech. But this is not a free speech issue. Twitter and Facebook have policies that you agree to when you join their platform. They have every right to do what they want. Now, I can strongly disagree with the nature of those policies and how those policies are implemented, and I have done so. And the president has every right to do that. He can express his opinion. But when he goes and he says publicly that he's monitoring, as president of the United States, Twitter and Facebook, so that he can defend the free speech of the nut jobs that support him. And let's be clear, the only reason why he's defending their speech is because they support him. That's, that's not what free speech is about. That's the opposite of what free speech is about. In fact, the founding fathers would be having a conniption, as would modern-day real conservatives, if they still existed, like Mark Levin used to claim to be. Those people would be saying, whoa, whoa, wait a minute. The last thing we want is the head of a federal government saying that they're monitoring private corporations for how they handle issues of speech. You do not have a constitutional right to say whatever the hell you want on Twitter or Facebook. Again, I think Twitter and Facebook are full of crap. I think their policies are uh, anti-free speech at times. Their implementation is even worse. I have battled them privately. I've battled them publicly. But when the president of the United States is saying he's monitoring on the behalf of his own cult, which is really, again, the key point here. He doesn't care about the free speech of, for instance, uh, people who are kneeling or used to be kneeling in the NFL during the National Anthem. Something I, free speech I don't agree with, but it certainly comes under the, uh, the, uh, the realm of free speech, protected by the First Amendment, as much as we, we may despise it, have disdain for it. But the reality is you've got to be consistent here. And Trump only cares about these types of free speech people because they support him. That's all Trump cares about. That's what makes Trump tick. If it's good for him, if people saying nice things about him, then they're on the good side. If it's bad for him or people saying bad things about him, they're on the bad side. That's really what it's all about with Donald Trump. Is Trump a bad guy or a good guy? It depends. It depends, Grace. For, to him, in the reverse, you're a good guy if you say nice things about Donald Trump and you support him. You're a bad guy if you say bad things about Donald Trump and you don't support him. Therefore, you don't have free speech. That's not the way free speech works. And the President of the United States should not be saying he's monitoring Twitter and Facebook on these issues. And if Barack Obama had ever said that, people like Mark Levin, conservative, alleged conservative talk show host and others, would be having a conniption fit. 
Instead, there's silence. There's nothing because they're all a bunch of damn hypocrites. And we're heading towards a tyrannical presidency. The abuse of Donald Trump's power, both in literal and figurative senses, continues on a daily basis. Sometimes in violation of our Constitution, direct violation. The Emoluments Clause lawsuit is going forward. There's more and more evidence that Donald Trump on a daily basis is in violation of the Emoluments Clause because he's still making money from presidential actions. Sometimes from foreign governments. I mean, and how the hell that impeachment inquiry has not started is completely beyond me, and it's a huge mistake by the House Democrats because that's a, that is a slam dunk as it gets. Tomorrow, he's going to be, Donald Trump is going to be giving, on Monday, the Presidential Medal of Freedom, the highest civilian honor we have in this country, to Tiger Woods. I have been, at times, the biggest Tiger Woods fan on the planet. Him winning the Masters a couple weeks ago was, I'm sure, the sports highlight of the year, if not the decade. But it's premature to be giving him that. He's only 43 years old. He's prone to scandal, as we've already seen. Part of why Trump wants to give it to him is because he's recovered from his own self-inflicted scandal, which is not a good reason to be giving someone the highest civilian honor we have. But the reason why this relates to the Emoluments Clause is, and I wrote a column about this a couple of weeks ago, and no one got it, no one understood it, no, no one cared. But Donald Trump and Tiger Woods are effectively business partners on golf courses. Donald Trump's entire business is wrapped up in golf. Tiger Woods is by far the biggest name in golf. That is a massive conflict of interest. Things that used to matter. I mean, if, if Barack Obama was doing this, and I have to admit, Barack Obama diminished the Presidential Medal of Freedom in huge ways, giving it to Ellen DeGeneres and people like that. And so Obama needs some some criticism here because he, he opened the door for Trump to be able to do this. But... No one's going to hardly mention this tomorrow, that Donald Trump is using a public event at the White House to give the great, the biggest, most prestigious civilian award to a effective, a literal and figurative business partner of his in Tiger Woods. That's wrong, and it used to matter, but now it doesn't. As always, we take a quick peek at the, the race for the Democratic presidential nomination because that will determine whether or not... Uh, Donald Trump is reelected for another four years, and I do think that there's a very good chance that he will be reelected. I think the biggest thing that happened this week is that Pete Buttigieg, who we've talked a little bit about on this podcast, uh, was on the cover of Time magazine, which would be amazing for the mayor of South Bend, Indiana, who is polling in single digits. But what really made it amazing is that he was on the cover of Time magazine with his husband. Um, okay, wow. Uh, lots I could say about this, about how uh, it is that uh, Judge would never be on the cover of Time magazine if he was not gay. And certainly I understand that's why they put him on there, but he's not a legitimate candidate yet. I mean, the media is getting so far out in front of this. If he was polling in the 20s or the 30s or winning some, you know, an Iowa poll or a New Hampshire poll, that would be fine. But this is a self-fulfilling prophecy here. The media is falling in love with Buttigieg because they love his narrative, which I have predicted that they would. And there's a lot of parallels between what's happening with Buttigieg today and what happened with Barack Obama in 2007, 2008. I agree with that. Now, I'm not sure that they're going to be able to pull this off. There's a lot of similarities, but there's a big difference. There's a big difference between being multiracial, half black, and being openly gay and, and having a, a male husband that's now on the cover of Time magazine. So I don't, you know, that's going to play very well within parts of the Democratic primary base, but um, they may be getting too far out in front of themselves. I can see Buttigieg winning the nomination if it becomes Obama 2.0. There's a lot of similarities there. But I do think that the issue of him being gay, which I don't give a damn about, uh, is going to cause him a lot of problems should he be the nominee against a Donald Trump. Joe Biden right now is blowing the doors off of everybody on the Democratic side. And I continue to believe that an unscathed Joe Biden is by far the best bet to beat Donald Trump. But I'm still skeptical that we're going to get an unscathed Joe Biden. 
And the conservative media now going after Joe Biden on ethical concerns and alleged scandals. Go fuck yourselves. I'm sorry. No, I'm serious. Conservative media, please go fuck yourselves. You don't get... To, you don't get to, to now uh, uh, use the same ethical standards that you used to prior to Donald Trump on a Democratic presidential candidate. It doesn't work that way. It does not work. I'm going to draw the line right now. I'm going to call penalty right now. No. Sorry. It's okay. If you want to say that ethics don't matter, honesty doesn't matter, scandal doesn't matter, okay. But now you own that. You don't get to reverse the rules. And say, oh, some bullshit scandal by Joe Biden. Oh, my gosh, he's so... Even Glenn Beck has done this on, with the blaze. I'm like, oh, God, seriously? We're just going to pretend that we just didn't accept the most corrupt president, at least in the modern history of America, and that includes Richard Nixon, has gotten uh, you know hardly any criticism from the right. We're just going to pretend that didn't happen. But, um, but the bottom line here is because of Trump's uh, increasing approval numbers and because there's not been much of any backlash against the bar deceit, which I had hoped that there might be, I'm slightly adjusting the uh, two percentages we end each program with in Trump's favor. And please remember, no wagering. 5% now the chances that Donald Trump does not finish his first term in office. And I'm going to just go with a flat-out 50% because I don't know. I'm, I am gun to my head. I do not know whether or not Donald Trump will be reelected, but it's all about Biden. If it's Biden unscathed, Trump will not be reelected with an 80 to 90 percent certainty. But uh, anything other than that, I think Trump has a hell of a chance at reelection. So I'm going to put it right now at 50 percent, as gutless as that is, 50 percent chance as of right now that Donald Trump is reelected for another four years. That'll do it for this episode number 27 of the Individual One podcast. Join us on Wednesday morning. Mid-morning, actually, it'll be probably mid-afternoon by the time it's released. Los Angeles, California time on Wednesday for episode number 28. Until then, please remember to subscribe, rate, review, and share the show via social media. Follow us on Twitter at Individual1Pod. That's Individual, the number one pod. My name is John Ziegler. Thanks for listening. This is the Global Story Network.